You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. We continue our series on Jesus Revealed today. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of John the 11th chapter, verses 17 through 27. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was a freshman, In high school, I had the great opportunity to sing O Holy Night for the Christmas concert. And this wasn't like the big granddaddy Christmas concert. This was like an outdoor kind of a thing. It was at the Slidell Municipal Auditorium in their outdoor. It was like across the street from the church kind of thing. And my grandmother was there, my my mama, uh, Rita Rall was there. O Holy Night was one of her favorite songs. Specifically, you know, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. And her favorite part of the song is when you fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices. Except that's not what I sang. Somehow along, and I'm terrible with lyrics, right? And I'm just, Pour some shook up ramen, right? There's, I can't there's a bathroom on the right. Like I, I hear lyrics incorrectly all the time. So along the line, somewhere, as I was practicing and learning the song, I had combined the first part of the first verse and the second part of the third verse, all at the same time. So instead of fall on your knees, I sang, Christ is the Lord, forever, ever praise we, which is beautiful, which is true, which is lovely, and also wrong. <laughs> so, uh, my, it's strange how that happens. After the concert, I came and I, I, met, I met my mama, and she, she came up to me and she gave me a hug. She goes, that was, that was a beautiful song, Matthew. Um, but you never fell on your knees. What happened? You never fell on your knees. What happened? Learning is hard. Unlearning is harder. When you have Christ is the Lord, to now unlearn that and then fall on your knees is really hard work. Learning is hard. Unlearning is harder. When we reach this text, when Jesus hears that Lazarus is dead, when we get this glimpse of resurrection, There's an unlearning 
that has to happen. Resurrection is an exercise in unlearning because we feel, we think, we're told, we're taught that death is the end of our story. It certainly seems that way. It feels that way. We say our goodbyes. And yet we are taught through faith that resurrection is where our story goes. There's an unlearning that has to happen because resurrection doesn't make any sense. Everything points to death being the end of our story. Even to the point of the disciples. Jesus hears that Lazarus is dead and he waits, or that Lazarus is ill, and he waits for two days. That is terrible pastoral care to hear that someone is ill and you say, I'm just going to hang out for a couple of days. I'm not, not quite ready. And then he hears that Lazarus is dead. And then he goes and he tells the disciples, he's just sleeping. I'm going there to wake him up. And say, Jesus, I'm, I'm not sure if you know how this, how this works. He's dead. Why bother? Because he is not dead. And you're about to see the glory of God. Learning and unlearning. Resurrection is an unlearning because all senses, all information, all of our cultural practices seem to point that death is the end of the story. Resurrection is an unlearning, therefore faith is necessary. Faith is, is, not, a is not a necessity because it's hard to believe, but because it takes trust. It takes trust to unravel assumptions, to re-narrate what has been learned, to rebuild with a new framework through which the kingdom of God comes into fruition. It takes great faith to unlearn because we need one another to do that. This unlearning and building a new framework is what we have been doing these last six weeks as we've been walking through these I am statements of Jesus. And if you're here, and, and congratulations, you're on the last Sunday of a six-week six series. Don't worry. Don't panic. We started with, I am the light of the world. And an unlearning has to happen right from the very beginning. In that text, Jesus sees a man who was born blind. And the disciples ask, well, is it his sin or his parents' sin that led to his blindness? And Jesus said, neither. But you're about to see the glory of God. There's an unlearning right at the very beginning that has to happen because they assumed that, that something went wrong. They assumed that his sin caused this deficiency or his parents' sin caused this deficiency. There is an unlearning that has to happen because we assume that our lives with Jesus begins with sin instead of blessing, instead of gift, instead of grace. I am the light of the world. This light reveals Jesus' divinity. Light is up there, out there, and it comes to us. Light is the boundary of the universe. Nothing travels faster than light. Light does not decay. It is timeless. And it is the perfect metaphor for Jesus. But then this I am light and this healing of this blind man leads to not celebration, not hallelujah, it leads the religious leaders to be disgruntled and upset and angry because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And that breaks a rule. Miracle led to anger. 
The story's not finished. Jesus then says, I am bread. I am the bread from heaven. You can't get a more opposite picture of an I am statement. I am light, up there, out there, divinity. I am bread. Bread doesn't grow on trees. It takes human cultivation. It takes work. It takes sweat. It takes tears. And this I am bread reveals Jesus' humanity. Bread is a human invention. And it is nourishing. We cannot live without it. I am light, Jesus is divinity. I am bread, Jesus is humanity. Jesus distances himself from Moses in the wilderness and the manna that is there. Because this bread that Jesus has, it's not just on the ground for us to happen upon. It takes work. Discipleship takes work. Yes, there is grace. Yes, there is unmerited love. And yes, there is great work ahead. And when Jesus distances himself and invites the disciples to unlearn this connection with Moses in the wilderness and, and to feast upon his word, there's an unlearning that has to happen, and it's an unlearning that makes the religious leaders angry. <laughs> you must not know your history, Jesus. Why are you distancing yourself from Moses? They grumble because they cannot unlearn what needs to be let go. And then we walked into, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And that also called us to unlearn our definitions of good. That good is not the result of being better, faster, stronger, wiser. All of those things are good things, but it's not the definition of good. It's not about being better, faster, stronger, wiser. Rather, it is about the intimacy of service. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My own hear my voice and they follow me and they're sheep, not of the sheepfold that I am calling so that all sheep will be gathered together. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. What makes good is not that Jesus is better, faster, stronger, wiser, or just like us, just better, but that Jesus serves and that Jesus offers an intimate service to all of the sheep. And then do you remember what happens when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and there are sheep of other sheepfold that are included into this, into this fold here and I, I, I'm the shepherd of all. What, what did the religious leaders do? Are you noticing a pattern? They got angry. They got upset. They said that Jesus had a demon. Every time in this story when there's a miracle that happens, when, when Jesus reaches out with intimate service and grace and love, those with power in religion get mad. They get upset. It's because Jesus was including those who weren't better, faster, stronger, wiser, you know, because the church, the church should be at least a place where, where, where the drugged out, the washed up, those who don't know what direction they're going, those who are broken, have found a home. A place of transformative hospitality, of belonging. A place of transformation, of hospitality, a place of belonging. Like, for example, my, my good friend, uh, and you've heard me tell the story before of my friend who uh, entered into rehab. Uh, not long ago, he texted me last night during the LSU game. What an interesting text to get during an LSU game. He goes, today I am nine months sober.
He knows the difficult work of the, the, the power of being a slave to a substance. He also knows the feeling of being in the death pains of withdrawal and to stick it out. He also knows what's, what it means to unlearn and to relearn the simplest of things. He said, I'm in a good place. And understand, he would say this, he's not in a good place because of his own achievement. He is in a good place because now he has a means of intimately serving his sisters and brothers who are also wrestling. Or who maybe not admit that they are wrestling. That's the good. That he is now equipped for a very personal, intimate service for his neighbor. To walk, to counsel, to be with those who might call on him. I am light is Jesus' divinity. I am bread is Jesus' humanity. I am the good shepherd brings them together so we recognize Jesus' full humanity and full divinity in a title that refers to King David and also a title that refers to God. Fully human, fully divine. Jesus calls the sheep together to occupy the same space and grace and the religious leaders say he has a demon. They just can't unlearn that the sheepfold is wider than the wider than the law allows. And Paul, Paul says this. Look, the law is good. The law is good. Paul says this. The law is good. It's just that sin saw an opportunity to use it for ill. I'm the good shepherd. Then Jesus goes on to say that I am the vine and then says you are the branches. Then we are incorporated into that life. Not only are we a part of the sheepfold, now we are called to share the very same nutrients of the vine, to, to share the same presence of Jesus. I am the vine and you are the branches. And yes, branches are pruned by God. Branches do not prune other branches. Branches are pruned by God, and the more that we do the holy work of God, the more that we serve, the more that we break bread, the more that we study Scripture, we are transformed. That pruning, that healing begins to happen the more we engage with the presence of God. If you want to be United Methodist about it, it's works of mercy, works of piety, works of justice, both personal and social holiness, the means whereby we experience the presence of God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be United Methodist about it. <laughs> I'm the vine and you are the branches. And again, we are called to produce good fruit and good fruit is not about your ability. Good fruit is about your capacity for joy. Lord, help us if good fruit is about our ability. Producing good fruit is about our capacity for joy. Learning how to share it. Learning how to receive it. I mean, you do remember what joy is, right? The steadfast assurance that God is with us. Sometimes that's happy. Sometimes that is the bloom in the midst of the rubble of life. Good fruit is about joy.
And then Jesus has a hard lesson. Uh, so far, it's been, it's been lovely. I am the light of the world. Follow me. You can see I, 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 I am the light through which you can, you can find your way. And I am bread. I offer you nourishment. I am the good shepherd. I call you into the sheepfold. I am the vine and you are the branches. You share in me. We share the same nutrients. The good fruit that you're called is, is my joy. But then he gathers with the disciples and he knows he's going to Jerusalem and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this way is a way that is littered with people on crosses. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is not an easy road, this Christianity, because it asks you to be selfless. Or as the Apostle Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And as the Mandalorian teaches us, this is the way. <laughs> it's a way of selflessness. It is a way of service. It is a way of love. It's also the truth, right? The way, the truth, we are connected to the truth. Truth is not a mental ascent, as we talked about when Jesus was before Pilate. The truth is not something that, that you, you pick out and you create a doctrine around. Truth is something to which you belong. It is the transformative hospitality of belonging. I, I had someone last week text me after I said that, and they said, can, can, you, can you say it plain, preacher? <laughs> the transformative hospitality of belonging. Can you say it plain? Yes, I'll say it plain. This place should be a place where everyone can call home. That's the truth. Church should be a place where everyone can call home. How do we know? How do we know that we are being hospitable? How do we know that we are sharing the kingdom? and not just ourselves? It's a good question. In fact, it was, and I'll, I'll call him out right now. It is the best question I've had in a long time, and it was Jim Douglas who asked it. He goes, how do I know? Well, let me back up for a minute. How do I know? Right. How do I know that something is of the Holy Spirit or if something is of human origin? See, Jim asks those questions like randomly on a Tuesday afternoon. He'll just text. How do I know something is of, of God? Or is it just of, of human origin? Well, uh, I was at a jurisdictional conference this week. Uh, and that's the conference that we elect bishops. We elect bishops. And we have a new bishop uh, in, in Louisiana. Uh, her name is Bishop Williamston. Yeah, you can clap. That's good. We have a new bishop in Louisiana. Bishop Williamston. Uh, and, and she is fantastic. African-American woman from Kansas. Uh, 22 years of service with the Kansas National Guard. Uh, and she retired and she left. She was the one who appropriated the funds. She was the go-between the Department of Defense and the Kansas National Guard. She was in charge of all the money. So kudos to her being a bishop, right? This is, she is well-equipped for, for the job at hand. We're at Jurisdictional Conference. And in the schedule, so we get there Tuesday uh, is like the small committee work where the, the petitions are looked through and the budget is like all these things. And then we, we convene Wednesday morning. We all interview the different uh, Episcopal candidates. And then Wednesday afternoon, around about three o'clock, we have our first ballot. Written into the agenda is something like 26 rounds of voting. So you have from Wednesday at like three o'clock to Friday night at nine to vote. And then eventually the, the agenda says, uh, as applied, which suggests that 25 ballots are in the agenda, but if we need 32, then we're just going to keep at it until we are done. So when you go to a jurisdictional conference, you bring snacks, you know what I'm saying? You bring popcorn, you bring a little something, and you, like you set in, like, here we go. 
because what happens, I know this will be a surprise to you, but there's a lot of politics involved. So you, you have a round of you have a round of voting and, and you look at the site and you go, okay, those are the horses in the race. Okay, then, and, then, and then you take a break and then you caucus and then you call and then you say like, hey, I'll bring the cherry Kool-Aid if you bring the, you know, whatever. And you like make these deals and it's all, it's all holy work. M most of it is, some of it is holy work. So we gather, we set up shop, here we go. All right, let's settle in for the... And we elected three bishops on the first ballot. Done. That has never happened in the United Methodist Church. Well, once, about a hundred years ago, when bishops were elected by the General Conference, uh, before we were the United Methodist Church, or the Methodist Episcopal Church, there were five bishops elected, but not in the history of having jurisdictions and how we're organized today. That has never happened. Now, Doing theology by signs can get tricky. For example, if you are discerning of whether to take a job offer to New York or Oregon, and you're in your backyard and a, and a cardinal lands on your bird feeder, has some seeds, and then the cardinal flies away in a north by northwest direction, before you move to Oregon, call someone, right? Call me, right? Uh, the bird flew to the north, northwest. I, 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 that must be a sign from God that I should move to Oregon. Maybe all I'm asking you is to call a friend before you pack your boxes, right? Sometimes doing theology by signs can get tricky, but here, is this a movement of God? All three bishops elected with one single vote? It sure feels like it. Something unprecedented. And then some left complaining and angry and bitter. And as we're reading these I am statements, there's a pattern that begins. You see and experience a miracle of God. And some in the institution get very angry and upset and leave. I'm the way the truth, and the life. And then Jesus, on the way to his friend's tomb, he's met by his sister. He said, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Friends, that's an unlearning that we need to wrestle with. Time and time again, when someone is in the hospital, I hear, if, if I had only done this, if I, if I had only prayed better, if I, had, if I had only been closer to God, I would not have gotten sick. No, my friend. If I had only been faithful, this wouldn't have happened to my family. If I had only prayed, if I had only given more, if I had only gone to more small groups, then... Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified. And if Jesus can be crucified, there is no protective bubble for us. Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus said, your, your brother will be raised. And she said, well, I know that. I've been to Bible school. I know he's going to be raised at the end. 
The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised. I know he's going to be raised at the end. She gives the very excellent small group Bible study answer. He will be raised, and that is orthodox teaching, that we will all be raised at the end. We, we will sleep until we will all be raised. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Do you believe this? She says something interesting. She doesn't say, yes, I believe that you are the resurrection. She goes, I believe, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the one to come. There's an unlearn with resurrection, there's an unlearning that has to happen. And even Martha in this moment is wrestling, is struggling, is in essence saying, Yes, I believe. Yeah, yes, yeah, I believe that you're the anointed one. Yes, I do believe that. Yes, yes, I do believe that you are the Son of God. That wasn't the question that Jesus had asked. Do you believe that I am the resurrection? Jesus gets to the tomb and he says, Roll the stone away. <laughs> and Martha, I believe that you're the Messiah. Yeah, I got that. Martha says, what are, you, what are you doing? It's going to smell. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus, in essence, says, do not let your fear of stench get in the way of you seeing the glory of God. Roll the stone away. Lazarus, come out. And then he asks the community, go to him, unbind him, and let him go. Unbind him. Unlearn that you think death is the end? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Well, I believe he's the Messiah. Do you believe that our story ends with life? What is it that needs to be unbound for us to believe that this is true and to believe that this is so. We say it a lot, but we keep building things that don't exist in heaven. Stop building things that we know aren't there. Like division, things that divide us, things that give some power and, and, and others no power. And I, I, I joke in saying, and you've heard me say it, now, do I really believe that only upper middle class white Methodists from Bossier are going to be in heaven? No, of course not. So why do we build institutions and structures that seem to suggest that? What needs to be unbound? What needs to be unlearned? So that we, we might say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the resurrection. My grandmother, Rita Rall, you didn't fall on your knees, what happened? Uh, devout Lutheran, Missouri Synod Lutheran, don't you forget it. Uh, in the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, at least at St. Stephen's in New Orleans, uh, closed communion. Uh, unless you were a member of that church, uh, you could not receive communion. But my, my grandmother told the priest, mm, kind of what I said, like, do you believe that only upper middle class white Methodists are, are in heaven? She goes, look, my, my, my family will be at my funeral and they're not Missouri Synod Lutherans. And you keep saying that when we gather around the table, we feast with all of the saints. 
and I want to break bread with my family on that day. When we gather around the table, we do indeed feast with the saints, those who have gone before us, those who live in the heart of God. When we break bread in this place, we dine with them. We say, one day we will see our loved ones again. We do not have to wait. When we break bread, they are present. We are sharing the same bread of heaven with them. We need not wait to experience heaven. My grandmother came to that deeper understanding of grace. That when we enter into this world and cultivate a posture of prayer and intimacy of service, where light is our path, bread is our nourishment, where we call together the branches of a vine being fed by Christ, when we recognize that there are other sheep not of this fold that need to be called here, when we recognize the way is a way of selflessness, the truth to which we belong and the life that we share, the life that is abundant, the life that never ends. When we do these things, we will never hear someone say, you didn't fall on your knees, what happened? Because we will already be in a posture of a servant. And we too, as our saints have heard, we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You never fell on your knees. What happened? Let that question never be asked of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Let us pray.